Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another podcast episode. Today, we're going to talk about the case of Monkey Michael Vaughn out of Fruitland, Idaho. I previously made a podcast episode on his case a couple months ago, but there have been some changes to the timeline, and so I wanted to make another podcast episode. Now, one thing that I I repeatedly say about cases involving missing children is that kids don't just disappear. It doesn't happen. Kids rely on the adults in their life. They're not independent. They don't just disappear. And I've covered lots of missing person cases involving children on this podcast. Harmony Montgomery, Oakley Carlson, Cody Bigsby, Summer Wells. And in a lot of those cases, the parents and their family has failed them. And the system that they were a part of, the Child Protective System Service, has failed them as well. Now, this case is a little bit different. Mikey lived with his mom and his stepdad and his two older siblings and his younger sibling. But again, children don't just go missing. There's always a reason. There's more to the story. So I want to kind of set the scene for the day that he goes missing, July 26th. It's a summer day. Kids are out of school. Everyone wakes up in the morning. So Tyler, his stepdad, his mom, Brandy, grandpa's also there. Um, His two older siblings, he has an older sister who's 15 and an older brother who's 12 and then a baby brother. The older daughter is in color guard, so she has band camp all week. So she wakes up and gets ready for band camp. Mom wakes up, gets ready for work. At 7.30 is when Brandy, the mom, leaves with her older daughter, drops her older daughter off at band camp, and goes to work. So that's kind of the scene of the morning. Then we fast forward to the afternoon. At around 4 p.m. is when the daughter gets done with band camp, walks herself home. At 4.13, Brandy calls her daughter on her work break, on the phone and chats with her, asks her about how band camp was. The daughter says, yeah, I'm home now. It was good. Um, I'm here, Mikey's here, the older brother's here, Tyler's here. They have a short conversation. Then we fast forward to 6.30 p.m. Tyler says he was changing the baby's diaper. Then 6.40, Tyler orders Domino's pizza for delivery around this time that apparently Michael was bugging his older brother. His older brother was in his room playing video games. The older brother got annoyed with him, said, go away. I want to be by myself and shuts and locks his door, locking himself in his room so he can get away from his brother. Then at 645, the older daughter gets picked up by a friend. She leaves the house and is gone. Now, this is all simultaneously occurring occurring as things are occurring outside of the house. So, things are happening inside of the house, things are happening outside of the house at the same time. So at 6.42 is when a neighbor claims to have seen Michael. Michael apparently walked up the driveway, their garage door was open, the dad was standing in the garage door, or inside inside of the garage, and the dad said to Michael, I'm about to leave. I got to go to the grocery store. You can't play right now. You got to go home. 
So this dad apparently walks Michael to his mailbox, which is at the sidewalk in front of his house. So walks him to his mailbox, and then the dad goes back to his house, gets in his car, and leaves. Michael apparently walks to three other houses, knocking on doors. We know the second house he goes to, he asks if he can play with the kids there. And the adult says, go ask your mom. We know he goes to um, then another house. And then the last house he goes to is at 7.30 p.m. And the adult apparently, as soon as they open the door, they shut the door in his face. So that is all happening between 6.42 and 7.30. He goes to four houses total, knocking on their doors. But 6.42 is his last credible sighting by the neighbor that saw him when he walked up to the garage and chatted with him and then dropped him back off at his mailbox. Now simultaneously, while all this is occurring, at 6.40, between 6.45 and 7.05, Tyler, back at home, realizes that Michael's gone. He, at first, thinks he's just playing hide-and-go-seek, so he kind of casually goes looking around the house. Hey, Michael, where are you? He's looking, you know, under things, behind things, trying to find Michael. Can't find him. So then, at some point between 6.45 and 7.05, he walks down to the park down the street doesn't find Michael at the park. Then at 7.05, he makes a call to Brandy. We don't know if he's at the park at this time or if he's um, back at home or maybe walking from the park back home. We're not sure. But at 7.05, he calls Brandy on the phone. He says, you know, Brandy, I can't find Michael. I've looked around the house. Thought he was playing hide-and-go-seek. Don't know where he is. That's when Brandy says, well, he... His favorite hiding spot is under the bed for hiding-go-seek. You should check under the bed. Tyler checks under the bed. He's not there. Then at 7.14 is when the call ends. So it's about a 9 minute and 25 second phone call. 7.14, the call ends. 7.15 is when the pizza is delivered. Obviously... There's, you know, a lot of chaos going on with him not being able to find Michael. So we don't know who accepts the pizza delivery. We don't know if it's Tyler, if it's the older brother. But the pizza gets delivered at 7.15. Then at 7.21 is when someone calls 911. We don't know if it's Tyler, if it's the older brother, if it's Brandy. But somebody calls 911 saying, Michael's missing. We also know at 721, Brandy calls her older daughter. So she is most likely not the one that called 911 because she was calling her daughter at that time. So it was either probably Tyler or the older son that is calling 911 at the same time. Now, the time between 7.14 and 7.21 is unaccounted for. We don't know where Tyler is at this time. We don't know what's happening at this time. We're not sure. We know Brandy's at work. We know the older daughter is out with a friend. 
We know supposedly the older son is at home playing video games in his room. We don't know exactly about what is occurring between 714 and 721. That is unaccounted for time. But 721 is when someone calls 911 and when Brandy calls her older daughter. She does not get an answer from her older daughter. So then at 728, her daughter calls her back and Brandy says, you need to come home. Michael's missing. She says, I need all my babies home. I need everyone accounted for, all the kids accounted for. So she asks for her daughter to come home. We know sometime after 728 when she makes that phone call that she arrives back home. Brandy arrives back home at the house. She says that when she gets there, law enforcement is there. Meaning a couple police cars with law enforcement agents. She says they're loosely searching. Meaning there's a couple law enforcement agents out looking around the neighborhood. Neighbors are out because they've heard the ruckus and they're searching as well. Brandy apparently goes to the park. Um, There's apparently a splash pad at the park. She goes and checks there. Despite Tyler having already looked there, she goes and checks there. She said there were people at the park. This is like 7.30 on a summer night. It's still light outside. So she goes, checks around the park, doesn't find um, anything. The people at the park say, no, we have not seen Michael. Then we know at 8.15 is when she makes a phone call to her daughter. Brandy is apparently still out searching. She makes a phone call to her daughter to check if her daughter made it home. And her daughter says, yes, I'm home, mom. So that's at 8.15. So that's kind of the events of the night. 6.42 is the last known sighting of Michael, and that was by the neighbor in the garage who walked him back to his mailbox. After that, he is not seen. Now, there was not an Amber Alert ever issued in this case, which has been a big question of why was no Amber Alert issued? We know Amber Alerts work. They push out descriptive information surrounding the missing child quickly to a lot of people. And we know that in a lot of cases, those children are found very quickly after an Amber Alert is issued. So we ask, why was an Amber Alert not issued? If we look at the Idaho Amber Alert Activation Checklist, it says the child must be under the age of 17, which Michael is. He um, was five at the time of disappearance. That the child is known by law enforcement officials to have been abducted, which this is a high probability of being an abduction case. Um, That law enforcement must believe the child is in imminent danger of serious bodily harm or death, which if it's an abduction case, then that's also a high probability. And that there must be enough descriptive information to believe that an Amber Alert will assist in the recovery of the child, which there is a lot of descriptive information. They have pictures. They know what shirt, shorts, shoes he was wearing. They know the area that he disappeared from. So all of that, again, leads back to the question of why was an Amber Alert not issued? because an Amber Alert should have been issued in this case. And it's heartbreaking to hear that there's never been an Amber Alert issued in this case, and yet it's seven months and he is still missing. To think that if an Amber Alert had been issued immediately, 
he very well could have been found already. So it's just heartbreaking. Now, immediately, lots of people jumped in to help. Lots of local people jumped in to help, searching, um, doing everything they could to try and help find Michael. July 31st is when there was a press conference, which is pretty quickly after. Um, The Fruitland Police Department held a press conference. They had brought in um, search dogs. They had brought in um, teams of people to search um, in the time frame between July 26th and July 31st. And so at the press conference, they speak about that. We brought in search dogs. We brought in search teams. So far, we haven't located anything, but we really need the public's help in helping find him. Now... You know, since all of that, there's been a lot of kind of interesting things that have occurred. Um, And I said at the top, kids don't just disappear. They don't. They simply don't. And so, although this was not a case where Child Protective Services was involved, it still leads you to question what happened to Michael what happened to Michael? Now, there were a lot of people online that immediately jumped in to help that said, hey, we want to do what we can to help Michael. And one of those people, um, she gathered stats on Amber Alerts. And she said, hey, there's, she said to the mom, Brandy, there's an upcoming city council meeting. I have, you know, I, I sent you some statistics on Amber Alerts, on the qualifications for Amber Alerts, on the success rate of Amber Alerts. And I think it'd be really great if you went to the, the city council meeting coming up and presented all this information to the city council meeting so that maybe an Amber Alert could be issued in his case. And the mom said, I just can't right now. I just can't. She um, reached out to a former FBI agent who offered to fly out to Idaho and speak with law enforcement and speak at the city council meeting and speak with the mother and provide her expertise being a former FBI agent. And the mom said, sorry, I just can't. She was suggested by many people to reach out to news and political officials to get more press going. She was suggested talk to the local news stations, you know, get them to really put his face out there. Talk to local um, political officials, governors, mayors, to get them to get involved in his case. And she said, sorry, I just can't. which is troubling. It's troubling to hear a parent of a missing child say, I just can't. I know that she is under a lot right now. I I mean, I can't even begin to imagine. I'm not a parent. And, you know, I've never been in that kind of situation to have a child missing, let alone a loved one close to me missing. I can only imagine the pain and heartache 
that comes with that. And then, you know, having to deal with the pain and heartache, but also do everything you can to try and find that person. It would be very difficult. And so I recognize recognize that, but at the same time, if I was in her shoes, if I was a parent of a missing child, I would want to be doing everything I can. It would be difficult, but I would, I would want to do everything possible, reaching out to news stations, reaching out to political officials, going to a city council meeting to beg them to issue an Amber Alert, beg them to assist in the search for my child. I would be taking any help that I could get. If I was offered help from a former FBI agent, I would say yes, when's as soon as you can come out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so to hear someone say, sorry, I can't, it's, it's troubling. It's troubling. And there's, there's other things, too, surrounding this case that are kind of troubling. Um, Tyler, the stepdad, at one point uh, months ago mentioned, well... Yeah, his son was picked up by dogs in the neighborhood, but I might have forgot to mention that. You know, oh, I didn't think it was that important, but yeah, that happened. It was kind of an offhanded comment to someone that was helping them. You know, and that's troubling that, wait a second, your your son is missing? He's been missing since July, and you didn't think to mention that his scent was picked up by dogs in the neighborhood. You didn't think to mention it. You didn't think that that was that important. So that's a little troubling. Now, there have been several people questioned in this case. There was a supposed... creepy person at Brandy's work and more creepy in the sense of like always trying to hit on her and always trying to advance on her. We don't know if that person was looked into. We assume law enforcement looked into them, but we don't know. But that was a mention by the mom that, yeah, there was this creepy guy at my work that would just, he would come into our work, I guess, and just kind of like make suggestive comments and things of that nature. We don't know for sure that that person was looked into, but that was a potential suspect at one point. There was also a supposed, what was deemed as a stalker in the neighborhood um, that had been like driving around and law enforcement tracked down that person. They questioned that person, gave a polygraph to that person, and that person was supposedly cleared. The grandpa was questioned and supposedly cleared. He was there for a bit of that day, and then at some point later in the day, he went out to meet up with friends at a local bar. Um, we know that Tyler was questioned. He was actually given two polygraphs. I guess he failed the first polygraph and then was given a second polygraph 
and they didn't say the results of the second polygraph, but I guess, and this is all according to the mother, I forgot to mention that at the beginning, but all of this timeline is coming from the mother and the stepfather, so it's not coming from law enforcement, but apparently law enforcement said after the second polygraph, well, he doesn't need to take another one, but we don't know the, um, we don't know the, um, the outcome of the second polygraph, but we can kind of maybe assume he failed the first one and he was asked questions in regards to Michael's disappearance. And so that's, that's alarming. We also know that um, sometime, we don't know exactly when this was, but sometime maybe a couple months ago, that um, Brandy, the mom, said that Tyler was going to be read his Miranda rights and that that was going to happen because they wanted to clear his conscience and help ease his mind and that that's why the police were going to be reading the Miranda rights to him now if you know anything about Miranda rights you know that you are read your Miranda rights when you are a suspect and you are coming in for questioning and you are potentially involved in a case so there's a lot of things here that are just not adding up there are a lot of things that are just not adding up and so then it leads to the question of like well what happened to Michael what do we think happened how much of this timeline do we actually believe according to the mom and the stepdad it's hard to say now, there, there are certain things that the mom has to back up um, some of these claims. You know, she has photo and phone call records that she was at work that day. Um, she has screenshots of ordering the pizza and the pizza getting delivered. She has phone call records of when she talked to Tyler on the phone, when she talked to her older daughter on the phone. She has screenshots of that. But it really begs to question. Because kids don't just disappear. So what happened to Michael? Is it possible that maybe Tyler's involved that you know, maybe he didn't indirectly do something to harm, hurt, harm or hurt Michael, but maybe maybe in the process of that evening, in the timeline of that evening, Tyler was a witness to something happening. Someone coming something occurring at the park at the house in the neighborhood and Tyler couldn't bring himself to 
he just, he, he just couldn't fathom what happened. And maybe he shared it with Brandy, maybe he didn't. Maybe Brandy knows and is scared to share or admit that he was involved. But I think someone here knows more, either Brandy or Tyler knows more. I truly think they do. There are just things that are not adding up. And the more that people are speaking out, the more that people are speaking out and sharing information on Michael's behalf, saying, we want to help Michael. We want Michael to be found. We want justice for him. Is when Brandy and Tyler are getting defensive and saying, wait, 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 wait. We don't want you willy-nilly sharing information. We don't want you doing this. Which, again, is a red flag. Why would you be worried about information being shared if information that's being shared can help you find your son? Why would you be worried or concerned? But it seems like, according to Brandy and Tyler, that information that other people have in regards to the case is concerning to them, that there's something that they don't want leaked or shared. And I'm not saying that they necessarily did something to hurt or harm Michael, but I think they know more than they're saying. And I think they are possibly worried about people finding out what they really know. And at the end of the day, the whole goal is finding Michael, bringing Michael home, getting justice for Michael. We can't do that if we don't have all the information. We can't do that if we're limiting in limited and being limited in what information we share. And it can be hard when people in a case are unwilling to share all the information they have, unwilling to work with other people. It makes it 10 times harder. And my hope would be that the people that are closest to this case and situation would be able to share whatever information they have, whether it's with the public, whether it's with law enforcement, whether it's with one specific person. But that is what is needed in this case, is all the information possible so that he can be brought home safely or if he is not alive that that justice can be can be found and made for whoever whoever is directly involved in this but yelling and shouting at other people saying i don't want you sharing this information stop this is not helpful because everybody involved in this case and situation simply wants justice for Michael. They simply want Michael found. That's it, plain and simple. 
And you can say, oh, well, it's just semantics. Why does it matter what time the pizza was delivered? Why does it matter what time a phone call was made? But a single minute in a case like this can mean the difference between someone being alive and someone not being alive, someone being there and someone being lost. Every minute, every second matters in a case like this. And so this timeline has been changing and it's frustrating that you get one piece of information and then you have someone saying, no, actually this is different. We're finding out that this is different, that this person initially said that this happened at this time, but actually no. Now we're finding out that it was different than what they said. And that's frustrating because we're working off of the timeline that we're given to be able to try and find as much information possible to try and find out where Michael is and what happened to him. And when the timeline keeps changing and evolving, we have to go back to square one. And so it's, it's difficult. And this whole case is heartbreaking because kids don't just disappear. A five-year-old doesn't just disappear on his own. And so I hope and I pray that there can be a resolution in this case, whatever that looks like, whether he's found alive, whether he's found deceased, I hope and pray that a resolution is found in this case. And I would love for you to share this podcast episode on social media with people you know. Share this with them. Encourage them to listen to this podcast episode. It's important. It matters. As always, you can follow me on Instagram, mysheadlinespod. I have his missing person poster up on my Instagram page. I would love for you to share this missing person poster with anybody that you can via text message, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Share this message. Share this podcast. Share his missing person poster with everybody you possibly can. I always say it only takes one person, one person to say, wait a second, I might have seen something, wait a second, I think I know something. One person is all it takes, and you never know if your one tweet, if your one share of his missing missing person poster could do that. So I strongly urge you, I strongly urge you to do that. Go to my Instagram page, MYS Headlines Pod. You can see the missing person poster and share it. Share it, share it, share it. You can also always follow me on Twitter at MYS Headlines Pod. Sorry, I'm on Twitter, it's just MYS Headlines. I'm retweeting his missing person poster there. So you can share it on Twitter as well if you are on that platform. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast episode and his missing person poster. Let's bring Michael Vaughn home.